You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. That's FredHeBakes.com. Guys, I know things are still crazy, but that's why you should go ahead and treat yourself to some delicious baked goods. So head on over to FredHeBakes.com and use the coupon code NOLOVELOST to get 20% off of your order. That's NOLOVELOST. Or if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to the Podcast Jukebox Network where you can get yourself some No Love Lost merchandise like No Love Lost t-shirts or Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. We hope that you guys are doing well and staying safe. We know that 2021 is looking to be a lot better than 2020, but we are not out of the woods yet. So please continue to do everything you have to do to take care of yourself and to stay safe. So thank you so, so much for doing everything that you do to support the podcast. We love you. Please take care. And on that note, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island I would like to see the polar bears There was a crash and there are others and there are numbers and it all means something supposedly but even though there are times we hang our heads in sadness we know there's no love lost We have to go back you know i can't i can't put my finger on it will but something about what you just said sounds a little dishonest are you lying to me by any chance i would megan (laughs) come on yeah we've done how many of these so far would i lie to you I just, I don't want you to throw me into a room, like, with a convicted murderer. That's, that's all. That's all I'm saying. Welcome. maybe not, not convicted. I guess just attempted. No, he definitely murdered that guy now that I think about it. No. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't do that. I just don't want to end up in a room with a murderer. Well, (laughs) I'm sorry to say. (laughs) Welcome back to No Love Lost the podcast where we break down moment by moment, second by second, frame by frame. Oh, the please hit don't. television no. series. Lost. <laughs> Megan, what if we had done instead of, um, what if we had done one of those like minute shows, like the lost minute. And instead of doing an episode for every episode, we did an podcast episode for every minute of lost well if that were the case will then i would actually have to agree with anthony for once and assume that i had just died and gone to hell we're here talking about the season three episode 19 the brig i'm will link and with me as always megan salinas hey everybody and megan we are not alone today why don't you tell us who is joining us yeah, for, for such a memorable episode, we we needed a little bit of help. So joining us on tonight's episode is uh, our fellow film buff, all-around television lover, and podcaster, Max Heesh. Thank you for joining us, dude. Of course. Hello, Losties. <laughs> is that what Lost fans go by these days? I'm pretty sure that's what they're called. Otherwise, I mean, yeah. They went by it back then. I don't think anything's changed, but who knows? Maybe something has. Maybe there was a vote that I wasn't part of it. (laughs) Well, on that note, Max, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into Lost. I mean, 
I lost to this day is literally the only show I watched from premiere to finale, like on the night it aired or pretty much the day after if I didn't have cable because I was too cheap to pay for it in college. Um, <laughs> know that like feeling. My, my, we saw the ads on ABC, uh, my family in high school, and pretty much, yeah, we had to watch it. And it's like, oh, there's that Hobbit from Lord of the Rings. We got to watch it now. <laughs> That is exactly how I got sucked into it, too. Yeah, and he was the selling point, even though he was not even the major character. But, yeah, I got sucked in right away, that J.J. Abrams magic. Uh, even though I found out later that he didn't have a whole lot to do with the show. Yeah, it's always, like, kind of the... at the. I feel like Lost, and this, I think, also is part, like, rise of social media... Like, we know more about how the sausage is made on everything. But, yeah, when this show first premiered, I'm like, oh, J.J. Abrams doing this. And then you quickly learn, oh, really, it's the two guys who wrote this episode, actually, Lindelof and Coos. And said sausage making also became kind of the uh, uh, problem with the show as uh, a lot of people were upset that they didn't actually plan out the entire six-season run. Uh, beforehand um well let me let me that brings me to a very important question that i need to ask uh when it comes to the ending of this series are you like uh like kind of a uh are you uh, team will or team megan just go I, with was, it. I was gonna say are you like kind of a negative nancy about it or <laughs> are you on the correct side of things <laughs> I'm I'm not on the head side. I'm on the heart side, and Aww. the finale of this show gave me the feels something horrible, and continues to these day to this day. Um, I had I've had the privilege of going to two of the Lost live concerts in Los Angeles, and they play the end of the show live to orchestra both times, and there's not a dry eye in the house every time. So yeah, I'm on Will's side on this one. <laughs> I, I, I I'll like, let that slide, Max. I'll let it slide. I like how you you say it as the the uh, heart side, not the head side, because although I can make some arguments for the head side as well, but that's why the finale worked for me. I had been with these characters. I had been emotionally involved with these characters, and I feel like the emotional payoff at the end of the series. Uh, is why I will defend that finale till my dying day. Same. Although if I was a little more clever, I would have said hearts and minds instead of brains. <laughs> so. I see what you did there. <laughs> you have to pun together our dialogue. So, like my, I can't argue with somebody's emotional experience, but like we'll get there when we get there someday in like several years. <laughs> I have a theory, Max, that I will have won Megan over by time this is is done, as I've already won her over a little bit on some s characters she used to not like so much, like Juliet. <laughs> what, was the wrong, what was wrong with Juliet? <laughs> I used to not like her when I first watched the series. I was younger, and her withholding nature I found quite vexing. Upon yes, a first she was watch. the only withholding character on this show. There was no other <laughs> secret. 
<laughs> I was just bitter about Anna Lucia getting killed off, and then Juliet got introduced right after, so I was bitter. Oh, no, I'm sure you've talked about it. You know why she was killed off, right? Oh, we've had extensive discussions <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. subject. We, um, and to oh, the point where I don't know if we could bring it up again. <laughs> well, I mean, she has a tendency for driving fast and furious. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, but uh, just talking about like favorites, uh, do you happen to have like a favorite character or favorite episode of this series that like anytime like you want to get back into the groove of the show, like you can pop on at any given time? Um, I don't have a favorite character, but my absolute favorite episode is Numbers from season one. Ooh. Because oh, nothing yeah. sold the mystery of the show like Hurley and the Numbers. And yeah, Hurley, Hurley fan favorite for sure. And then um, I know we had talked about this previously and I'm sad I missed it, but uh, the season three episode Expose is always a favorite of mine uh, as a, an aspiring writer just to be in the room when that happened. It's like, you know what? Eh, the audience isn't exactly crazy about these characters. Let's murder them. <laughs> but it's done. That episode is like, sometimes I feel bad for that episode because it gets lumped in with the whole idea of how terrible Nikki and Paolo are to the show. But that episode is phenomenal. Like the, the, the structure of that episode, the way we get the glimpses back to things we've watched throughout the season and even series. And uh, it's dark. I mean, that's as dark an ending as any episode of Lost could have. And I'll be honest, any episode is improved with additional arts. Yes. <laughs> this is a fact. And there's so much to go around. <laughs> I mean, we all got like a over little over there art. and yeah. over there and over there. <laughs> like, I'm sure there was some in this episode. We just didn't even know it. Yeah, because we go back to the site of uh, the Arntz explosion. <laughs> now, uh, uh, Max, we know you wanted to do expose. We'd already recorded it. But uh, this episode, The Brig, which we have you on for, is this another, I would assume then this is another season three favorite of yours? It absolutely is because it showcases just some of the best stuff about Lost, intersecting timelines and just some Hitchcocky intention at the same time. The whole thing is waiting as the whole thing is basically a bomb waiting to go off. Um, and I would also say it's a bomb that's been waiting to go off for at least on the lock end of things for many episodes at this time because we've had this experience where Locke has gone off with the others. Locke knows his father was in the mystery box on the island. And then we step away for Locke for a few episodes. So it, it, this is one of those, and I think this is one of those things that people had a complaint about season three where it always felt like, you know, it was there was it was spinning its wheels a little bit or there was too much going on. But getting back to this, you're right. It's a powder keg of an episode. And it's like, you may have had to wait a little while to get back to the storyline, but it's well worth it. And kind of just the whole representation of that stringing the audience along is Ben's attitude during this whole thing. He starts out by talking about the box. Your father was in the box. And later in the episode, he's like, it, it's a metaphor. It's a goddamn <laughs> metaphor. Let's move on. Yes. Yes, I love that moment. 
<laughs> this is an episode, and you know, we'll we'll start to get into the episode, and we, we we'll get to it. But this is an episode that does a lot of things that also feels a little like the creators talking to directly to the audience. I I would concur with that, but I have mixed feelings on it, as you could probably imagine. What, Megan? <laughs> um, well, I know me mixed feelings on this show. Who would have guessed? Well, I guess let's start to get into it. As I already said, this is this is a big episode because it's written by the two uh, big uh, head honchos, Lindelof and Coos, and um, it is directed by Eric. Lanaville, who um, previously directed a uh, Hurley-oriented episode, Trisha Tanaka is Dead. Ah, okay, so same director. That's crazy, because that's like a a way more lighthearted episode, um, because it's Hurley and it's fun. I guess it did have some moments of, like, being a little bit more dark, but, but yeah, this this as as Max said before, this is kind of a more of a Hitchcockian episode, and so it's interesting that you know he directed both the more comedically toned Hurley oriented episode and then this one, which is very very dark. So a lot of times when they we have episodes that the flashbacks are just the earlier days on the island, we usually go through it uh, chronologically on the island. So. That's how I'm going to take this Locke Sawyer story. But I will start at the very first scene, which is before we flash back, which is Locke reading the file, reading what we will later realize is Sawyer's file. And we hear like a muffled somebody, muffled, kind of tied up or captured. And he tells him to uh, save his breath. No one could hear you. And he's he's into this file. He has come across something uh, uh, that's going to help him with his little uh, appealing to the others uh, mission here. And in the back of my mind, I was kind of hoping that was actually uh, Q's and Lindelof's outline for the remainder of the series. And he <laughs> Like, oh, this is what's going on. Well, here we go. <laughs> See, they're even more meta layers than I previously thought. Well, just like a Spaceballs moment. They come across the script and it's like, oh, no one can ever see this. <laughs> <laughs> when will then be now, Max? Soon. <laughs> um, so this open, it's an, it's an, it's an eerie little opening uh, that I, I, I liked it. Megan, any thoughts? Yeah, I forget sometimes that Terry O'Quinn, you know, ha- has done a few horror movies in his day. Um, uh, the, like, uh, not gonna lie, maybe it's just because we were just talking about Expose and the, the really dark ending at that. But for a moment there, you know, listening, hearing the muffled cries of Anthony Cooper, like, there is a part of me that's like, is he gonna, like, bury that guy alive or something like that? Um, and what proceeds to happen is still pretty dark. But, yeah, it's it's a good tone setter for what's to come, for sure. Well, they certainly try to add a little more menace to Locke's character, um, especially when they're going to kind of yank the rug out on that one because we know he can't actually kill anyone because he is kind of a coward when it comes down to it. 
So trying to make him seem a little more evil up front is definitely their strategy. I don't know, man. The, 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 watching through this series a second time, I've very much gotten the impression that John Locke was not a virtuous guy, <laughs> really, from the get-go. He's been presented as very ominous and scary on occasion. Like, when the plot wants him to be scary, he's scary. Well, if Locke, Locke will kill, we saw him kill someone who can't be killed a few episodes back with uh um oh yeah he just totally shoved that guy through the gate and oh man Uh, but yeah did he die (laughs) no no that's the thing he got better (laughs) it took a grenade to finish mikhail off there's um uh and but Locke will kill before the season's over yeah 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 no and but yeah, I, I'm just talking, like, even going back as early as season one, like, he had this air of menace to him when he was initially introduced, and there are moments where, you know, he does things that where you could be like, well, that is objectively monstrous, like kidnapping Boone and drugging him. I, <laughs> I still maintain that that's super messed up and dark. And that could be just part of the long game, too. Like, in my rewatch of Lost, I'm currently nearing the end of season six again, And just seeing where, you know, the character of Locke, and I'm doing the air quotes when I say that, uh, where he ends up, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, So then we go to, we flash back to eight days ago. And we pick up right where we had left off last with Locke. And he's kind of like, where did you find my dad? Like he's, he's asking very legitimate questions that have uh, metaphorical answers. This idea that, wow, like he was in the box. You wanted him here. That's why he's here. And they're like, don't get too close to him. And it turns out Anthony Cooper is a biter. Uh, So basically his father, Locke's father, kind of growls at him, like, don't you know where we are? And Locke then makes the decision that, yeah, he is going to go with uh, the others who have his father. And he just casually drops the initial major theory behind Lost, that it's, oh, it's purgatory, they're in hell the entire time. And Yeah, well, it's... That's the writers poking you again. It's like, ah, it could be, but it's not. <laughs> and see, I find that vexing. <laughs> it, I would find it less vexing if the entire final, like, I, I don't mind the misdirect while we're going through the series initially, but I, I think it's disingenuous when the entire final season is purgatory. So it's really mean to tell viewers like, oh, no, it's not purgatory. It's not purgatory. It's not purgatory. And then do a purgatory thing. Well, it's not the entire final season. It's half half of it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Max. (laughs) No, but it it is the it's it's not a wink at the audience, but it is just kind of, uh, you know what? You thought it was purgatory. Now you get purgatory. (laughs) <laughs> well, since we're talking about it, let, let's get all of this stuff out now, because rather than just wait for it, like, yeah, it becomes clear that Anthony Cooper, uh, he has a great line, like, it's a little hot for heaven. Like, so he clearly thinks, like, do we believe he really believes he is in hell? 
Like, does he, or is he being like, I don't know, he's a con man, so it's hard to know what he actually believes. But I mean, do you think the character of Anthony Cooper, Locke's father, really believes he is in hell? I see no reason why he wouldn't believe that. I mean, he was in a car accident, uh, and all of a sudden he's in a ship in the middle of the jungle facing his son, who he thought was dead. Do you think that also accounts for why he's, and and this is something I might complain about later, why he's (laughs) so talky, why he's so, like, just spitting in everyone's face, because he thinks there are no consequences, that he's already reached his consequences? I mean, yeah, I think he thinks there's nothing to lose, so he's just going to be extra chatty until he's, like, taken in by the devil or something like that. But he's he still feels pain. Like he looks pain when he's <laughs> when he's strapped up to that giant altar or whatever you want to call it, statue or pylon that they have up him on. Like this isn't a comfortable situation. I don't know. That you was going to be being my... super comfy. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. That's true. Depends on what version of hell we're talking about. Like if we're talking like the good place version of the bad place, then I don't know. You could be. Uh, mostly comfortable, but slightly uncomfortable, and that's your eternity. <laughs> the um, it, this is also played with in the Naomi stuff, which we'll get to much later. But since we're on this track, um, where she's like, oh yeah, you it's a Saeed, like oh yeah, you're all dead in that plane, and he's like, well, we're alive, and she's like, obviously, and. <laughs> That was very winking to the, like, the the writers are telling us that, oh, yeah, see, yeah, they're alive. They said, obviously, they're alive. They've confirmed they're alive because they said they're alive, which then, of course, anyone watching it would be, well, they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't tell us if they were alive, (laughs) so they must really be dead. Lost wouldn't lie to me. But, but Max, let me ask you this, because me and Megan have <laughs> talked about this. We've talked about fan expectation. And really, a lot of times, I think television shows get into a no-win situation with shit like this. And I don't hold the show responsible for the fact that all these fans had so many theories that they felt the need to kind of play with those theories a little bit. How, how do you feel? I think Megan's a little harder on the show for stuff like that. How do, how do you feel about that? It certainly walks the line, but it was definitely unprecedented at the time because, like we mentioned earlier, it evolved with social media and a look into the process that no one had ever seen before. So they knew way more than they should have, uh, and they made a, they might have caught on uh, where they shouldn't have, and the Lost Riders had to course correct at some point. So I think... Yeah, they were, well, the fans kind of deserved any ribbing they got. (laughs) I think that's fair. Uh, Like I said, when it comes to purgatory specifically, I I definitely don't mind, um, like, writer acknowledgement of the different fan theories and stuff like that. My big problem is the series denying for years that purgatory was, was a thing. And then being like, well, what do we do? (laughs) 
it's like they kind of wrote, in my opinion, obviously, um, you know, you talk to anybody who was involved with this series, I'm sure they'll tell you differently. But in my opinion, I feel like they wrote themselves into a corner and then went, well, we've still got purgatory. <laughs> we could do that, even though we said for years we weren't gonna. <laughs> I don't doubt that that actually crossed their minds, but I think they kind of not wrote themselves into a corner, but they made a new corner. A fifth corner. <laughs> a trans-dimensional corner. So, um, after that, we jump to three days ago. And Locke is uh, pitching a tent with our favorite flight uh, attendant, Cindy. I thought we were never going to see her again. Good for her. Cindy has, like... Cindy has really drank the other's Kool-Aid. Well, she's, like, taking care of the kids from the back of the plane, too, right? So she can't go anywhere. But she's also very much, like, it feels like she's, like, well, she says, oh, they're all excited you're here. Like, she seems very, I don't know, she seems very into it. Like, yeah, she saw Jack in a cage, like, just a couple weeks ago, and nothing seems to have phased her about that. She also is very aware that he was in a wheelchair when they boarded the plane. Oh. Yes, that's oh. true. Because where other characters didn't quite notice him, you're right, the flight attendant would notice him. And and that's what they get into later on. Like, that Locke is, they're impressed by the fact there was a man with this spinal injury couldn't walk and he came to the island and he can walk um and that's one of the reasons they're all excited about him well Locke goes to see ben which is never a good thing uh ben is when he goes into ben's tent he is listening to the juliet information on the tape that's uh, a nice bit of continuity i'll give the series credit where it's due and he, you know, he's straight up with like, oh, we're going to kidnap pregnant women. You're so weird, Ben. You're literally the only person in the world that cares about this. And um, basically, this is where the idea is presented that in order for Locke to fully kind of take in whatever spiritualness that this island is bringing him he has to let go of the one last thing holding him back and it is that relationship with his father dun 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 or so ben says or so <laughs> ben says yes excellent point max because ben as we all know is someone we can 100 percent trust 100 percent of the time yep he left penny to a pit in the jungle to die <laughs> But also, I'd further add, if this show means anything, it means letting go of those daddy issues. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, now, because daddy will meet you in heaven. I <laughs> mean, technically, technically, what this episode is really getting at is get someone else to deal with your daddy issues for you. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that what the isn't that the takeaway? That's what I took away. Well yeah, manipulation is key. <laughs> well, the manipulations continues from our boy Ben because 
he wakes Locke up in the middle of the night and is basically like, you got to kill your dad now. <laughs> We've all had that one. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I bet you lots of people are dealing that when quarantined with their entire family right now. Oh, jeez. Um, like, mom, mom wakes you up. Your dad has to die. <laughs> <laughs> mom, you say that every week. This time I mean it. So they bring him to his father. And this is what I'm talking about where Anthony Cooper is in full F you, I'm going to taunt you mode, calling him spineless, saying, ah, he'd never kill me. Like, he's really, if he truly believes he's in hell, he's really embracing that. Like, he's tempting fate here. Like, he's really confident yeah, he's already dead. I, I I don't know. Maybe he feels that pushing John out of that window, uh, you know, there go any and all chances of ever manipulating him in the future. So it's like, why even bother trying to appeal to Locke's empathy or, or desire to try to please me or anything like that and just goes straight for like, oh, I'll just attack his um, sense of self-worth, I guess. It, it, it's also interesting, Locke, the man who... Don't tell me what I can't do. The one person who he, in the face of being told that, that he always, like, kind of just uh, falls apart to is his father. But I guess, yeah, his uh, use, his son's usefulness uh, was over at the time, and he didn't want uh, getting tattled on, so out the window. <laughs> but it, this is also a for, like look anthony cooper is like a master con man and this is also a con right like he knows if he pushes buttons in a certain way Locke is if he reminds Locke about how Locke is spineless and won't kill him Locke definitely will be spineless and not kill him it's like how does that work hey kill me no <laughs> damn it you win this round <laughs> Damn, you're good. <laughs> well, he doesn't kill him, and it's a big disappointment to all the others. Ben has, because now everyone's come out to see the killing, and like we ben all killed our dads. <laughs> come on, John. It's what all the cool kids did. And Ben's like, he's not who we thought he was. And there's a great shot, though. And this gets back to Cindy drinking the Kool-Aid. There's a great shot of, like, Locke going back, like, shamed, going back to his tent or whatever. And there's a shot of, like, Cindy and the kids. And they all look really disappointed. Like, the kids look really like we were really hoping to see someone get their throat slit. Um, they, the kids were really looking forward to this ritualistic sacrifice, but I guess we'll just have to go back to bed without bathing in the blood of the, of the wicked. It could be worse. They could be on Oedipus Island. So they have the father murder and then, you know, what comes after that? <laughs> but like, you're, you're absolutely, I think my favorite part of like not, you know, the kids and Cindy looking disappointed is one thing, but there's one shot of one extra who I am fairly certain doesn't have a name. He just had the most hilarious frowny face. <laughs> is that Steve? I, <laughs> I don't think so. I think like, is Steve 
Steve's still on the beach in theory, right? Or or did yeah. Steve die? Was it Scott that lived? I always forget which one died and which one lived because the characters always forget. <laughs> well, I mean, they're both dead and alive. They're Schrodinger's survivors, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, up until season four, <laughs> but um, when when all of them are dead. But the but no, this guy just had the best frowny face and because only half of his face is illuminated it was just it was the most beautiful thing and i had to pause the episode and laugh it was it was just magical but yeah these people are really bummed out that they didn't watch Locke murder a dude but i mean i, I, I don't know i, don't I guess it. if we're gonna be technical they're bummed out that Locke isn't who we thought they were but the fact that that involves some sort of ritualistic <laughs> midsomar type killing or something is is um is interesting Oh, what are we going to do with the bear now? So. Oh, gosh. Now I'm like imagining, now that you said Midsummer, there are polar bears on this island. Like, we could have a polar bear. <laughs> oh, there's so many weird things on this island. So then we get to two days ago before the main action. And Locke is sitting there, you know, overseeing the other's camp and. Who comes? Uh, who comes over? The man with the dreamiest eyes on the island, Richard. He is very dreamy. And Richard sits down next to him, and they start having some, you know, chit chat. And Richard points out, Ben wanted to embarrass you. This is like because this is what Ben does. Ben takes these people who are supposed to be in some sort of position of power or something like that. And he, he does try to bring them down because he always needs to try to hold on to his power. And now Ben's, you know, walking around. Ben's starting to feel better. And he's looking at ways to uh, humiliate Locke. I feel like this should have occurred to Locke already. And the fact that it didn't uh, should be embarrassing. <laughs> uh, if we want to cut Locke slack, do we cut him slack? Like the fact that his he the like he's distracted by the dad stuff. But you're right; it does feel it does feel like something Locke would have seen coming. It's like Ben did that very Ben thing. You should be surprised. I mean, maybe he did know, but like seeing everybody be disappointed in him like he he doesn't it's not like he has any friends with the others so i don't know maybe he he figured that was ben's mo but didn't really ha know what to do about it well richard he, should be his friend i mean he'd already met Locke twice oh yeah that's true i mean Locke didn't know it but <laughs> nevertheless you're right um well, you know, Locke has this special healing that, and Ben doesn't, Ben doesn't want Locke to be in this position. Ben is wasting everyone's time with this whole getting women pregnant thing. I did appreciate that this is the first acknowledgement that the series makes of like, oh yeah, that, that pregnancy subplot. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. Don't, don't <laughs> stop being invested in it. <laughs> or I was going to say it's all part of Ben's obsession. Oh, it should be noted that getting them pregnant is not the problem. Keeping them pregnant is. That's true. You could get them pregnant all the time, but it becomes an issue down the road. I'm just saying that this whole subplot 
Richard basically goes, yeah, see the subplot? Forget about it. It's dumb. It's stupid and dumb. We're moving on. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't carry it to term. Oh! oh and oh, that is shit. why we brought you on the show. <laughs> it's for stuff like that. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So Richard also, though, in very key, he says, oh, maybe there's another way to have that. Maybe you could get somebody to do this and gives them a file. And it happens to be Sawyer's file. What Lost is basically telling you as an audience member is like, hey, kids, anyone who told you you don't have a permanent record is a liar. (laughs) You definitely do. And the others have it. Somewhere on an island right now, some Ben-type figure knows all my deepest, darkest shit. If that's the case, they are just hard up for material. Uh, hey, you don't know what I've done, my friend. <laughs> you know, I was just—I ta- was referring to my file. I... <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Will sometimes tells stories, and I would, when we were in the same room, I would look at him and be like, "You've lived quite a life." <laughs> we, uh, you look. I've had to go to some dark places during these times, but uh... <laughs> um, so then it goes to. One day before, yesterday, before the main action of the story, and the others are leaving, and Ben's like, yeah, we're going. You're not staying. You're staying here with your dad. And this is not what Locke wants to happen, and he tells uh, Ben that he can't do that, and Ben, of course, says, don't tell me what I can't do. Burn! And then it gets a very, like, kind of sad exchange where Locke is like, I thought I was special. And Ben says, everyone makes mistakes. Like, Ben is vicious, and that's why he's so good. That's why ultimately, like, Michael Emerson is so good in this part. Well, he won multiple Emmys for this, right? The only two actors to win Emmys for this show were um, Terry O'Quinn and Michael Emerson. Huh. That makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> so the, the the two people who won awards is the person who is roasting and the person who is getting roasted it was pretty great but i mean he and, acted like he knew how to get roasted <laughs> <laughs> yeah no they're they're both phenomenal in this so um basically they tell Locke, don't come follow us unless you got your dead dad with you does it have to be my dead dad? I could find a dead dad. <laughs> the island is lousy with dead dads. I could find a dead dad by three o'clock. <laughs> I'm sure if I search for long enough, I will find Christian Shepherd's body somewhere on this island. Yeah, it's in a it's in a cabin somewhere. It's in a little little shack, a little shack. Well, how it keeps getting up and walking away. Yeah. <laughs> um. So this brings us to. Everyone's favorite scoundrel, Sawyer. Woo! And the crowd goes wild. And the first time we see Sawyer in this episode, now in what we'll call the present, um, Sawyer is in his tent, sleeping with a very restless Kate. Now, I had forgotten that they, like, continued to hook up. 
Yeah, they were a thing for a little bit in this season. Although at this point, um, it's mostly just because it's like getting back at Jack for being with Juliet. Yeah, which was really uh, something that we heavily dealt with, I believe, in the last episode. Um, but she's still, she, she was still there, but she's getting restless. She wants out. And he he knows the score. He knows that she's doesn't want to be in that tent. And she's getting up to slink out. And he's like, I'll walk you home. And she's like, he's, she's like, no. And they, they do kiss. So it's not like a total uh, F you to Sawyer. I'm not staying here. They are cute. It like, obviously Kate's in a, she's like, yeah, I'm, that's not what this is. But like, they are very cute together. And uh, Max, you, you, you weren't here for our multiple discussions on this topic. But one of the reasons why I disliked Juliet initially as a character is because of how heavily she played into this love triangle which in season three I really don't care for you're not a fan of the love wombus no no not a fan it feels way too CW for me I can go I can agree with that yeah that's basically why Juliet was introduced just to add new blood into the relationships but then she becomes so much more, including yes, the, uh, including, especially for Sawyer. Um, well, Sawyer has to, you know, take a piss. And we get a great glimpse, and we'll get into this when we get to the B story. We get a great glimpse of Hurley and Jin up to something, acting suspicious. And Sawyer kind of realizes they're up to something, acting suspicious. But, you know. To each their own. He goes off to go to the bathroom. None of my business. None of my business. Not my monkey, not my circus. And while he's in the jungle, he hears a hello, James. And it is John Locke. And uh, Sawyer's like a little annoyed. He's like, hey, you went off with the others. And he's like, no, I've infiltrated the enemy. And I have kidnapped Ben. And now I want you to kill him <laughs> but right now i'm watching you pee yeah <laughs> let me just take that in for a little longer <laughs> sorry you need to straighten up and fly right <laughs> um but the uh like this i i do want to obviously like we know as audience members and just from a writing perspective we know why Locke is being dishonest here um you know, it's all to build up that tension uh, up until we get that reveal, even though we can put two and two together fairly easily about what he's doing and why he's doing it. Uh, but like, I don't know, in in the context of what's going on, like, I think he could have gotten James to cooperate by saying, hey, I know what happened to like you and your family. Uh, how would you like to murder the guy responsible? <laughs> I think he would be more attracted to the idea of getting revenge on the most recent guy to wrong him. <laughs> Fair point. Also, also, it's that's that bringing that up is going to lead to a bottomless pit of questions. It's like, how'd you know that? Yeah. Did you have a file on me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did you get my permanent record? But then it's like, how did this guy get to the island? It's all the questions Locke's already asking. But Locke's mind is a little more expanded about the island than uh, 
than Sawyer's. But he does mention that they have a file on him, and he knows that he's already killed a man. And Locke is basically doing some really, and Sawyer must realize this too, doing some real basic reverse psychology thing of like, well, I guess I made a mistake. I'm just going to go off and uh, deal with this myself. And I guess Sawyer... if you don't want to punch Ben in his stupid face, I, yeah. I guess I'll go elsewhere. I'll let you break his glasses. <laughs> but you know what? This this gets into an idea that we kind of touched upon with Locke a little bit. And the exact same thing is happening to Sawyer, where these characters are smarter than this. But it, it, it's not like a... I don't mean that in a um, a bad writing way. I mean, like, these characters are smarter than this. But in a good writing way, they've put them in positions where they are not going to listen to their their heads in a way. That they are going to go with their hearts more. Even to, if that, they know. to that little voice that says, this is a terrible idea. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> but they have no choice but to go along. Yeah, he's going to listen to that little voice that says, oh man, this guy was mean to me. I'm going to fuck him up. Exactly. So they go off into the jungle. Sawyer didn't bother to get shoes, which seems like a real rookie move there. Seems like a real John McClane thing going on. <laughs> and he's got, he's walking around the jungle, no shoes. Um, As one does. And Locke basically says, like, he tells them stuff that he knows. They have a fine. He knows that the father shot his mother and himself and that must have been really painful for sawyer as a kid and of course sawyer does not like the fact that Locke knows this shit and pulls a knife on him everybody's always pulling a knife or a gun <laughs> on, on everyone else um and he's like don't call me james at a, at a certain point pulling a knife on somebody on this island is just saying hello uh, but no, I mean, we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, how great Michael em Emerson and Terry O'Quinn are in this series. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Josh Holloway is friggin' phenomenal in this. His face acting in this scene is so excellent. You can see surprise and heartbreak and, um, you know, rage all, and like uh, all these different emotions flash across his face, but it, it's all done very subtly and very naturally. Uh, it's just, uh, I applaud this man's face acting. It's so, so good. And that's probably one of the reasons I wanted to watch this episode again. It just pays off so well with that time bomb in the brig itself. Yeah, because as this is going on, we know, we know, and you're right, Hitchcock, you mentioned Max Hitchcock before, and and you're right, because it does that Hitchcock thing where the, where it's like, well, we'll show you the bomb under the seat. Like, you know this thing's going to happen, and it plays with that tension rather than just a mystery of what is he leading him to do. Uh, Josh Holloway, not that I ever thought he was a bad actor or anything, but he's definitely on the rewatch, the actor that I feel is the most underappreciated when we talk about this show in retrospect. Like, he does great work from episode one 
to the finale and he you're right he goes through every gamut of emotions and storylines throughout this entire series he evolves in a way that other characters don't really evolve and he should have gotten a little more accolades for this back in the day and i kind of wonder why i know he's been on a bunch of shows that i obviously don't watch but but I, I wonder why he never became bigger after this. Yeah, I know even J.J. tried giving him a little heads up. He had a small role in Mission Impossible 4, and I think he's on yeah. a sci-fi series called Colony or something like that, but he never took off. I don't know. Maybe maybe part of it is like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. You hit a certain level of success, and maybe... Maybe he's just not interested. Maybe he just really liked that island life. And I don't know. Is he still living on Hawaii and just taking it easy? No, I don't think so. I think that was <laughs> Daniel Day Kim. Like, yeah. He stayed in Hawaii for like 15 years. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm right there with you guys, though. I feel like Josh Holloway is underappreciated. I, I like I'm trying. I can't remember who else like won Emmys for best actor or best supporting actor uh during during this run but like during the lost run on air but i don't know i feel like somebody should have given josh holloway some sort of award because I, I i think he has the best face acting on this show i don't think he was ever even nominated so oh. um but in this scene in this moment with his great face acting Locke basically confesses like i can't do it i can't kill it but you can. And basically, Sawyer's like, eh, okay, they start, he keeps going down this road with Locke, but he says, I'm not killing anyone. And Locke tells him he's going to change his mind because Locke knows something that uh, Sawyer doesn't. So we get to the Black Rock. And he's like oh ben is in the brig and they make their way through more reminders of how it was uh an old slave ship uh, the dynamite he points out which is always a nice uh, nice uh, thing to be reminded of that it's, it is uh, it is interesting in in retrospect um that it's richard who pushed him towards sort of taking this this route of like solving this particular problem and that they go to the rock to to play out this sequence so yeah that, that is kind of interesting oh yeah uh something tells me that richard probably wouldn't have pointed him to go to the black rock though because that harbors a lot of bad memories for richard <laughs> <laughs> and when and when the writers wrote that scene with richard they already knew that we're hoping they did, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know anymore. I've never known, and I'm I never will. Uh, you know. And we don't need to know, honestly. We don't need to know. Yeah. It's it's the thing. Like none of these shows, none of these shows like I none of these things that they claim are planned out have ever been planned out. I always hear, like, I remember being young hearing about, like, George Lucas had all this stuff planned out. <laughs> he had shit. He had nothing planned out. It's like, I've read his outline for the original Star Wars. Yeah, no, he didn't have anything. Yeah, let's not play this game where we uh, 
Uh, Try to retroactively yeah. make something that was wonderful seem like uh, an act of genius or something like that. Well, he, well, I mean, famously on Star Wars, he had to have his wife come in to you know help edit, and like Brian De Palma wrote the opening scrawl for the original Star Wars, so it was a it was a community effort all around, and the kind of the same thing was true for Lost. Um, so we're at the Black Rock, and. He's like, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, in there. So, <laughs> Sawyer why goes, you... <laughs> go get why don't you go take a, why don't you go take a gander? Go take a look. And Sawyer sees someone tied up with a bag over his head and Sawyer walks into the brig. And of course, Locke locks him in the brig. It's his name. He's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You... It is. <laughs> Such a lock move. It is such a lock move. I mean, not I, 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 we we say that as like a semi pun, but no, it is legitimately a lock move to be like to just like throw somebody to the wolves like this of like you're gonna do this thing uh, that I'm manipulating you into doing, and I'm not letting you out until you do and, it. And I and I'm not even giving you the full information because it's like who the hell is this guy? <laughs> You'll figure it out. Um, so there's a great little moment, though, while Sawyer's in there and Locke's sitting there and Rousseau shows up. This is the best. (laughs) And Rousseau's like, and it's both of them look at each other like, what's going on? Like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And you first. Yeah. (laughs) And Rousseau's there to get some dynamite and. She clearly sees Locks doing his own thing there, and and they just leave. And it's like it's 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 one of those things that it's like it's not funny, but for us, it's hilarious because <laughs> it just feels like a very sort of sitcom esque moment. Yeah, like like <laughs> like oh, I asked you first. Um, it 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 feels to me, it feels like. Bart Simpson and Homer Simpson walking into the hall at the same time doing something they're both not supposed to be doing and it's just like carry on (laughs) so Sawyer's there and he's kind of questioning who the hell Anthony Cooper is and he's like that bald-headed bastard there's my son and he tells the story about how he was in this car accident and he woke up and he was on the island and uh, you know, he tells this whole thing, tells the whole thing about how Locke was paralyzed, like he had pushed him out of a of a eight story window, and that's when we get into the idea of uh, a little hot for heaven. But it also is when we start to establish that this man was a con man, and of course Sawyer's a con man. And then he starts talking. Anthony Cooper keeps talking. He talks about many names he had, one being Tom Sawyer. Oh, this was so good. Oh, man, Mark Twain's going to sue somebody. <laughs> um. Also, like, that's, it is, like, that's quite the name to decide to pick, though. I will say this with, uh, uh, but I guess it works. You know, the con men, you know, you have a name like that, a catchy name like that. Maybe that actually makes you somehow less suspicious of where it's like the name is so ridiculous that like it has to be real yeah 
Right up until you're painting his fence. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say though, uh, again, not to not to keep sounding like a broken record praising Joshua Holloway's performance here, but the way he says "That's my name too" <laughs> is yeah. so so good. Like he finally keens at what's going on. Yeah, he figures out who this guy is and why Locke had to bring him there to kill him, and. Sawyer's got his letter and he gives him the letter and asks him to start reading it. And I love this sequence because first of all, what a fucking prick to the end. Anthony Cooper is, and he is like reading it with like contempt, but and almost like mocking and it's the words of a child, and I don't know, everything about this moment I kind of love. Yeah, I think the moment I lost it was when he's like, and blah, blah, blah. It's yes. Just like, oh my God. Oh man, he's sealing his own fate, he's nailing shut his own coffin. And, you know, he keeps telling him to, to read the letter, and, you know, he starts to, he starts to figure out who Sawyer's parents were. They start talking and, you know, he remembers his mom, but he's like, hey, it's not my fault. I ran that con a million times. It's not my fault your father killed your mother. And Sawyer's like telling him to keep reading the letter. And of course, he rips up the letter. And of course, Sawyer strangles him. To death. And, and like, no joke. From the moment the the paper starts to rip, uh, and Sawyer lunges at him, and the score cuts out. Like to this day, this entire like I I've got goosebumps talking about it. Like watching it gives me goosebumps, and it is it is just it's it's phenomenal. Max, any thoughts on this moment? I mean, at this point, it's his first true murder, and he absolutely earned it at this point, as far as I'm concerned. It's like, you know, the other guy, he could have killed him maybe with some bad shrimp he served him. But this time, <laughs> like, oh, this is this is what I was made for. Didn't they shoot and kill a couple others extras, like, at some point <laughs> when, they were, uh, when they were trying to, like, towards the end of season two? But I guess you could argue that self defense and stuff like that, and you're in a you're in a survival situation. But yeah, this is just for true murder. Yeah, this guy was defenseless; like he's tied up and isn't going anywhere, and like he straight up strangled him to death and broke his neck. Yeah, there's he did that with his bare hands. <laughs> there's a difference. His polar bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's a nice little moment where Locke is like. Thank you. Because Sawyer did the thing that Locke couldn't do. Sawyer is not just performed his own act of revenge, but he has freed Locke from uh, uh, the grasp of his father. Uh, and there's another great detail a moment later where Sawyer vomits. A and I love that because it's the emotional weight of what he has done. And this man, and, and the fact he has killed in cold blood, like it would affect you in a way like that. And it's a great little detail. I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he actually kills, but he also like fulfilled his life's purpose. Like he wrote that letter when he was a child and he actually killed the man responsible for his parents. It's like, it's a twofer. 
Yeah, and we had a, a very similar moment um, back in season two when Michael is cleaning up the aftermath of him yeah. having murdered Anna Lucia, Anna Lucia and Libby and at one point had to run outside um, because he felt sick. Um, but yeah, this is so it, it's it's very cool when you get those very real human um, like reactions to to such consequential things in media i always really appreciate that um yeah with sawyer as, as you said max it's even twofold because yeah this is everything he's been striving for his entire life um anthony cooper turned him into the man he is today and it's it's this is one of i think the first this is one of the things where it's like of like con like very things that were set up in season one where we we get like a full and final payoff for, and um, I don't know maybe I'm incorrect in that and misremembering but like this, this one of the reasons why this episode is so memorable is because it's like this was Sawyer's whole deal. I, I think you're right about that uh, culmination and wrapping up one of the main mysteries of Lost, and it wasn't long after that, like season three, they decided we're going to end Lost and tie everything up with uh, three shorter seasons. So I think that definitely is not a coincidence. Uh, I I do. I I wish I could remember like how, how things play out for Sawyer a little bit more beat by beat, but like this, this definitely has to be a turning point for the character, right? Because uh, like he... And because I, 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 this is only only because it's on my mind right now. My roommate and I just got through watching a, a series adaptation of The Count of Monte Cristo, and like the whole moral of that was that revenge, you know, the person who seeks revenge di digs two graves, you know, that sort of deal. And so, like looking at Sawyer actually completing his revenge plot, I'm wondering is like, is he able to move? Like he's able to move on from this, I think. But, like, how does this affect him moving forward? Well, I think he finally is able to, you know, kind of chill out a little bit and find love. Like, this is the beginning of what I call his Lafleur phase. Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. we gushed about him earlier, but he, like, Sawyer honestly probably has the best, most complete arc on the show. So this oh. would be his halfway, more, his halfway point. Yeah. 100% he has he has the most complete arc on the show like he said he he change I he changes more than anyone by the end of the series um I mean, yeah thanks in no small part to him you know mur murdering his uh his uh parents killers so thank you John Locke <laughs> um, and quest complete achievement unlocked <laughs> one last moment we have to say from the storyline uh Locke says, you know, Juliet's a mole. There's going to be a raid on the beach. Uh, here's the proof. Here's the proof. Here's the tape recorder. And he says, I was never undercover. I'm on my own. And when they're leaving, Sawyer says, was it true that you were a cripple? And Locke goes, not anymore. So magic is real. Peace out. <laughs> so now Sawyer is going back to the beach with the evidence that Juliet is not on the up and up. 
Which brings us to our B story. Yep, the 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 boys who got back from their camping trip being super discreet and low key and not at all, not at all. Subtle. It's like Hurley. If you want to keep secrets, don't tell Hurley and Charlie. They're the most nervous people on the island. Um, so Jack uh, sees Charlie and it's like, oh, hey, how was the, the camping trip? And Jack is and Charlie's being real sketchy. Uh, and it's clear Jack knows there's something weird going on. And Jack's like, well, you know, next time, uh, uh, I'd like to I join w- you guys. I want to go on the boys trip. <laughs> Every time yeah. I run off into the jungle, it's like, it's to go do something. I just, sometimes Jack just wants to have fun too. Jack is the last person I'd want to go on any trip with on this island. But you know, the action is going to follow him. So something bad is going to happen. Sorry, Jack. We can't invite you. Like only bad things will happen if, if we invite just, you to come with. You go on a trip with Jack. You get a bunch of shitty tattoos. That's the problem. <laughs> that dope dad follows him around everywhere. It's just annoying. Um, but the real reason is they don't trust Jack. They don't trust Jack because he's cozying up to Juliet, and and I think rightfully so. They don't really have a reason to trust Juliet, and thus Jack with a thing this big. And what's the big thing? They got Naomi in the tent. And who do they decide they can trust but Saeed? <laughs> who, I, like I said, actually, a fair choice. Good decision. Saeed knows how to keep a secret. And I, I've i maintained since season one that he would have been an excellent choice for the leader of the island had they stuck with their original decision to kill off Jack. So he the, now we have this scene between Saeed and Naomi, and we already talked about the whole thing about that everyone wink, on the wink, nudge, dead, nudge. <laughs> but we're we're alive. Um, but we got a couple other bits of information that they were a search and recovery team. They're on a freighter eighteen miles out. Uh, they were hired by Penny to find Desmond. They didn't know that there was an island. Uh, and she does have a sat phone to to um, communicate with that freighter. Now I'm curious. Did they? Did she? They did. Uh, Naomi actually say the words Penelope or Penny? She said Penny. She said Penny. Okay. Like I'm wondering if she was, you know, just being ominous by saying Widmore. She said <laughs> no, but she did. I think I believe she said the full name Penelope Widmore. Gotcha. Um. And, you know, it's all, this is all going to be very pertinent information for season four. <laughs> and um, then we see Saeed doing a really bad job of uh, being discreet with this phone. I got to say. Yeah. What the heck is going on, guys? You couldn't have done Just... that in a tent somewhere? Yeah. Or like deep in the jungle. Nope. I, I guess not. They just felt like, I guess they just wanted to like catch some rays and like hang out by the beach. I don't know. They just, this is one of those things where it's like, uh, they, they're doing everything they can to keep a low profile. And then they were like, well, we need the plot to move along. So they're just sitting out in the open and Kate happens to walk by. <laughs> and, and it's making noise too. Like it's making interference noises. So it's not even quiet. 
Um, and Kate's like, yeah, what's all this? And they're like, okay, we'll tell you, but don't tell Jack. Next scene, Kate is telling Jack. <laughs> As Kate is want to do. This is so, like, middle school. Like, you have to promise not to tell. <laughs> I promise. Oh, my God, Jack. You will not believe what I just heard. Saeed has a radio, and it's from a helicopter pilot. Yeah. There's a girl in Desmond's tent. Ooh. A girl? <laughs> that bitch! <laughs> so, it's so Kate, like, tell, Kate tells Jack, and she's like, I don't want to say it with Juliet here. And Jack, of course. Also a middle like, school thing. <laughs> like, no, we're going to do it here. It's like, no, like, no. And finally, Kate's like, fine. This And this is why nobody wants to tell you. Because nobody trusts you. And, you know... There, there's a helicopter pilot named Naomi, and the boys got her hidden, and she's got a friend. And Kate starts telling Jack about it, and Jack is like, "What?" And he's getting ready to jump into Jack action, and then Juliet's like, "We should tell Kate," and Jack's like, "No, not yet." So there's another secret that they're keeping from everybody else, and then, and then. And then this story just ends for this episode. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of runs off and then that's it. <laughs> we don't really get we don't really get that whole thing resolved. Like that's a very lost thing to do. It's like, "Oh, you guys think you have a secret? We have a secret too, but we're not going to tell." <laughs> but the the implication in this moment is that like if Juliet like if Juliet has a secret, like double agent kind of thing yeah i i think the the main implication is especially since sawyer's basically coming to tattle on her um i think the implication is that jack has been made aware of this upcoming plan maybe i don't know well yeah i think juliet's supplying ben false information or at least delayed information right it's she's like playing both sides yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it in the next episode, but, like, my memory of, like, the rest of this season is pretty fuzzy with a few very notable exceptions. So, that's the episode. Yeah. Uh, it's a real good one, and it's a real good one for all the, the, the reasons, Max, you brought up earlier. Um so much tension great character uh work great performances by josh holloway and terry o'quinn um so max this is the part of the show where we have to pick our man in black and our jacob our our good and our bad of the episode um i don't know you are a guest would you like to go first with your man in black like what is something from this episode that does not work for you um, if I had to pick a man in black, it would certainly be a woman in this case, as Kate is not utilized uh, as well as she should be. Like, she Thank pretty you. much finds out a secret and tattles immediately. I'm just surprised they couldn't find a better use for her. That has been my refrain, my perpetual refrain for this entire season. <laughs> like, Kate has good episodes. This was just not one of them. Um, and... It, I guess my uh, my Jacob or kind of would go hand in hand with another comment for a man in black. Uh, I'm actually surprised this was not a uh, Sawyer centric episode. This 
Like, he has the most catharsis, and I imagine that would have paired well with some off-island flashbacks for him. Yeah, I guess... Um, I guess it's a... Uh, I guess they just had... They ran out of episode because there is so much good stuff here, but it does feel like... Going into this episode, I couldn't remember because it had been a while... But I assumed there would be Sawyer flashbacks. And then when it started, I kind of remembered, oh, yeah, this is all going to be on the island. But uh, that's interesting. I imagine I... this is their equivalent of a bottle episode. <laughs> yeah. And occasionally they do stuff like that. Michael's had episode had an episode like this in season two. Like Occasionally do the, we're going to keep all the action on the island. Uh, Megan, what is your Man in Black? Um, there's a part of me that wants to say the, the, the needling of the audience of like, oh, are they in purgatory? But I don't think that's fair to do at this point, because I don't think the decision had been made to do the flash sideways in the final season yet. So that's not necessarily fair. Um, so I will refrain from that. I, hmm. I like how you refrained from it, but still decided to get I, your digs in about I it. I have to point it out. It's, it's very economical. <laughs> it's a legitimate concern for me. As Like I said, I feel like it was really disingenuous of them to be like, it's not purgatory, it's not purgatory. Hey, what are we going to give you this last season? Purgatory. <laughs> but that's just me. But um, I think if we're, if we're, if I'm going to just kind of look past that, I think that, honestly, there's not really much to complain about in this episode, except for a few, like, nitpicky things. Like, um, like, Saeed sitting out in the open messing with the sat-nav. Like, that's, that's kind of contrived, you know? Um, uh, Juliet and Jack being like, ooh, now we have a secret, too. Like, that's kind of, like, manufacture tension so really the less of a man in black and just more of like there are a series of nitpicky things here that keep the episode from being perfect um but yeah so uh, i'll i'll go with the the characters maybe needing to think for like an extra two seconds before they actually do stuff uh my man in black is I've already kind of talked about it a little bit. Like, I don't know. I, I love so much of the Anthony Cooper stuff, but there is part of me that's like, come on, you know you're alive. Like you're a little <laughs> you're a little you're a little talky. You're a little overly talky. You're a little like, I don't know. Like I feel like you're a little smarter Bold than that. strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it works out for him. <laughs> yeah. Nope, he choked. Oh, ah. Um, so Max, then what is your Jacob? My Jacob is the brig itself. Everything about the action in that room, I love. Yeah. It's such a cool setting for, uh, I, for this confrontation, too. I, I, I'll just say mine real quick, because mine kind of relates to it. And it's, mine's very specifically, I love the letter sequence. I love the the... the the letter is written like a child. I love the way he it's read. I love Sawyer's reaction to it. Like that sequence is it's upsetting and it's I, I really enjoy that. That's my my Jacob. Uh Megan. 
I mean, it's hands down the most memorable thing of this episode, and it's one of the most memorable moments of the series, if I'm being honest. Um, like, so that that whole sequence is excellent. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you're you'd be hard pressed for all three of us to say that the the best thing in this episode was something that wasn't that scene. So, uh, at the sound of uh, at the risk of sounding redundant, I will also say that sequence. I mean, if it works, it works, and it absolutely does. So, Max, before we go, um, you know, I know you're a podcaster and stuff like that. Why don't you uh, give us some plugs? Ooh, Tell us uh, what you're uh, what you're working on and where people could find you. Um, well, I guess for most social platforms, I'm Heesh Money, H E E S C H M O N E Y. Uh, and, uh, I guess I'm a co-host for a podcast called Twinema Cinema, T-W-I-N-E-M-A Cinema, where we, uh, kind of, uh, examine those weird coincidences in movie history. We got two movies coming out at the exact same time with the exact same plot. So we go after things like, uh, Dante's Peak and Volcano, or we have an episode coming up about the presidential daughter movies of 2004. Uh, <laughs> Like first Daughter and Chasing Liberty, just going in some weird ones. Our very first episode was Ants and a Bug's Life. And uh, me and my co-host, Joey, uh, who, uh, yeah, usually we're on the same page, but it's really fun when we uh, disagree because we usually disagree really hard. So, like, one one of you prefers, uh, like, Armageddon to Deep Impact kind of thing, and you fight about it then. Exactly. And then we go into a little history... Uh, and a little bit of box office numbers and uh, all kinds of fun stuff there. And like why this one worked and why this one didn't work, kind of thing. If exactly. you if you if you're on the same, I, or I why like they this. both work sometimes, or yeah. why uh, they both that happen. <laughs> sometimes they both work. Sometimes they both don't work. It's like sometimes um, they both just suck. <laughs> but that, which makes it even more perplexing, why they needed to be two of them. That is a really fun idea for a podcast, and also. There are probably more of those than people think at first glance. I'd imagine. Like oh, yeah, I'd yeah. forgotten the I'd forgotten the ones about the first daughters. Yeah, and like we have a list at least thirty movies long, so we'll be doing this for a little bit. Excellent. Um, Megan, uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, where me and my co-host Katie talk about horror things. And we are both members of Rooster Team Radio, where we talk about Rooster Teeth-related uh, projects. So go check those out. They're both a ton of fun. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Will Link. And you can buy my novel, Crazy About Kurt. Uh, on Amazon, it's, uh, you know, if you like the 90s, if you like uh, coming-of-age stories, if you want to be brought back to a simpler time when we didn't have to socially distance, read this book. It makes for a great quarantine read or just normal, everyday read. So I, <laughs> I saw a fun tweet the other day about, like, hey, is anybody else just full on like reimmersing re themselves in their middle school obsessions like during this time or is it just me so See, there I, feel, you go. I feel that definitely not just her um yeah now 
uh, Max, thank you so much for coming on, especially I know uh, uh, during these uh, socially distant times, sometimes it's always awkward. The three people can't see each other kind of thing. But uh, when the world gets back to normal, we should have you on again and do this in person. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I always love an excuse to talk about Lost. It's literally one of my favorite shows ever. So, uh, yeah, this was a perfect opportunity. So until next time. See you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh <laughs> Uh, uh, Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will Mm -hmm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. uh, Not as frequently as usual. (laughs) But you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, These are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) It makes sense. We're on the same network. (laughs) So yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. (laughs) You're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.